Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Scott Schilling Speaks. I'm your host, Scott Schilling. I'm going to talk to a number one best-selling author here today, specializes in intentional profits. Now, everybody can benefit from that. Dennis Hill, thanks for joining me here on Scott Schilling Speaks. Glad to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me. Now, you're also a uh, number one best-selling author in the um, book series, The um, brilliant breakthroughs, volume five. So, but let's let's get into what you talk about most is these intentional profits. How do you help people gain those intentional profits? Well, I've been doing this a long time, and what I what I focus on is uh, helping business owners view their companies holistically. Most business owners operate within their comfort zone. Sometimes it's product development. Sometimes it's the sales and marketing. Sometimes it's the finance side. Uh, but business owners today are on much too fast a treadmill to not be concerned about all of the circumstances around them. So we begin with looking at the income statement and understanding where costs are best managed, whether it's up in production and cost of goods or in the delivery down below and the support of that. Of course, there's a timeliness to this too, because everybody was pushed into that kind of evaluation over the last year and a half with the pandemic. And many small businesses, um, while agile, while flexible, didn't quite have the perspective to really make some of the determinations they had to make, right? Who's essential? Who's not essential? How do we determine this? So for 40 years, I've been working with organizations and understanding how to integrate their processes from one stage to the other. And in so doing, how does that map into the financial statements? And so they have a grasp of the entire company from both a bean counter point of view and an operational point of view, and ultimately from a joyous point of view, right? Uh, because that's why they went into business in the first place. And didn't go into business to be unhappy, they went into business to be happier. So, Yes, certainly. Yeah. So, so how does that integration uh, really help them in protecting profits? Or again, uh, I love the term intentional profits. How does, how does that integration really help them accomplish that? Well, we begin with, again, looking at the financial statements, but from an operations point of view, we look at where the gaps are from, for example, from the time that you're going out looking for new, new prospects for your business, all the way through to delivering that first order, there are going to be gaps. You, you can go out and buy an integrated software package, whether it's a big ERP or accounting system, or, or it's just simply QuickBooks, right? Uh, you're going to find that when you put in new systems, you're also going to create new gaps. And what a lot of organizations do, they're, they're like tectonic plates, right? They're, 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 there's a gap there. There might be an interface there, but it's not integrated. You see, it doesn't really flex. So what happens, just like tectonic plates, there's a friction that builds up that's an expensive friction usually because you're maintaining two sides of that struggle. And ultimately like tectonic plates that give away uh, at some point, you get an earthquake, you get a ripple through the organization. And this can happen dozens, if not hundreds of times a day in an organization, all of that costing them money. So we practically start with an intentional analysis to identify the gaps. 
Now, so then what are the recommendations once you find those gaps? Integrate. That's all. For me, it's integration. I've, I've made my, my entire career around making measurements and solving problems. And those problem solutions always involve, always involve finding an integration as opposed to continuing bridges, temporary stop gaps and things like that, because you're going to have to replace it at some point. Right, one side or the other is going to uh, be deprecated or become obsolete. You're going to have to repair this. Then you're going to have to repair that. Perfect example. We're we're on the precipice of upgrading to something called Windows 11, right? And Windows 11, like all previous Windows, going back to the original Windows 3 back in the 1980s, is fraught with peril. People will slowly adopt. Um, unless all of a sudden the company, uh, Microsoft decides, we're gonna just completely pull support for certain products, leaving you no choice but to upgrade. Well, they've taken an approach that Apple has taken for many years, and that's to actually render your hardware obsolete through an wow. upgrade of their software. So if you read what's out there now on Windows 11, you're going to find that some computers that you might've bought as recently as four years ago will not run Windows 11. By wow. So there we go, right? Hardware, software, my software, I have to upgrade because the software I'm using is, is going to be deprecated or made obsolete. If I don't move to 11 and 11 is going to force me to upgrade my hardware and you get this kind of struggle. And we, we, we have lived with this since the birth of the PC, but that's the most apparent high touch example I can give you of where an integration makes sense, right? So uh, if you can get a half a dozen years out of a nice piece of hardware uh, with software like an iPad, I, I like my iPad, um, even that at some point, you can't run modern iOS applications on, right. on a first generation iPad. So, but you can plan for those upgrades. That those are those are acceptable, right? To some extent, what's not acceptable is when you do do a software upgrade or you do do um, uh, a, a new process, right? Uh, I can give you a real process one: supply chain. We're all living under under this new pressure on supply chain. In fact, if you had anybody talking supply chain a year ago who wasn't involved in inventory control, they must have had some sort of crystal ball. Exactly. Right. But today, everybody understands supply chain because it's talked about in the media and it's talked about almost daily out of Washington and on the 24 hour news cycles. That's forcing small businesses, not just the large ones. You know, what, what do the big enterprises do? They just go out by their own boats. Right. But right. little businesses can't do that. And so the small businesses that are out there, and there's 13 million of them right now in the United States by definition. 13 million small businesses that are trying to adapt to modified supply chains. And some of them might even be logistics companies themselves. So either they adjust, they adapt, they modify their processes in response to what their customers want, or they're going to be out of business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting when you're talking about the Windows 11, it, it took me back to um, XP and, and, you know, all of a sudden I had, I don't know whether it was my laptop and, and I bought an all-in-one and one worked on one, but wouldn't work on the other. And it is amazing how, from a business standpoint, um, how cumbersome it got in, in the different things that you had to do to 
just try to get work done, you know, from that side. So I, I would imagine. So is that part of the, the workforce processes and things that you put in to helping improve that productivity? Yes. Um, everything I focus on would be called the Internet of Things and People. I don't believe the two can be separated. And so what you hear a lot about today is technology focus, whether it's 5G or blockchain or distributed decentralized computing, edge computing, um, it all affects people. At some point, we are either um, adopters and users of the equipment and software, or we're gatherers of that information. And this, this really touches on quite dramatically the issue of data privacy, which has been um, uh, an area of research and development of mine for 40 years. I mean, I, I was a pioneer in the area of computer security in the 80s and have continued that even to this day on a global scale, trying to help companies, organizations, HR associations, and so forth understand that we the, the term computer users is no longer applicable. We, you, you are an information or data owner of the information that you have out there in, in uh, the ether sphere, right? Out on the internet and so forth, or you're a gatherer of that information. And of course we know what big tech has done. They've, they've really monopolized, not just monetized, but monopolized a lot of that information. I mean, 92% of our searches on the internet are done from one search engine and they were not the first search engine. No, I mean, that's they were like number 28. <laughs> that's fascinating to think about actually. They did very well, but they are they are the gatherers of the information. And, and what we've what we have always seen in computer technology, Scott, is that the law lags technology always has. And so big tech has been able to get away with what they've gotten away with because of a lack of regulation and this implicit you regulate yourselves laissez faire attitude, which is normally fine, except now we're finding out that a lot of things that were private um, weren't private and, and have been mined in order to almost in a Pavlovian way condition us and sadly condition our children to this new era of keeping your face on the screen, keeping your face in the phone. Yeah. Uh, and, and it is a social dilemma, like the film that came out last year on Netflix. Uh, you know, I'm hoping people would have watched that because these are truth sayers, founders from companies that became big tech who are really the whistleblowers right now saying, hey, there's a lot of analytics going on here that you don't know anything about, and it is being used back on you. You're, in fact, your information, your patterns of behavior and so forth are being incorporated into these advanced AI-centric, artificial intelligence-centric algorithms that come back to get you to do more, right? That's the Pavlovian conditioning here. Yep. And, um, and once that happens, it's easy to manipulate. You know, you don't have to manipulate a lot. You only have to manipulate people, a small percentage, a fraction of 1% either direction and change the outcome of elections, change the outcomes of economies. I, I, yeah, it's interesting that you, you shared that because it, I looked up something very obscure the other day. I don't even remember what it is right now. Certainly the first and only time I've ever looked it up. Um, like, gosh, I wish I could remember it. But all of us, you know, so I did a search and then I looked in or I went to a social media platform. And here I am. The second post is that product. And I've never looked it up before, nor do I did I really 
care to ever learn about it again, <laughs> but it was following me. So amazing how that happens. Well, and, and fortunately, for example, most people don't realize that Facebook, for example, has been doing facial uh, tracking and storing that information for a decade. And now they're dropping that technology largely because they can't really sell it um, without violating our privacy. And I think what's happening, and I, I know this for a fact, there are several bills that were making their way through congressional committees at the federal level. We had three alone going through assembly and Senate here in the state of Wisconsin that I, uh, that died at the time COVID hit because, um, well, the legislative calendars came no close, right? They were immediately ended because of the crisis. Right. And so they either died in committee or they were um, held in abeyance in committee. But these are regulatory. These are going to come out and incorporate some of the things that we saw California enact about two years ago called the California Consumer Protection Act or, or, and, and, or Privacy Act, which really says at some point you own the data. You as, as the individual own the data. Last year in May, the World Economic Forum came out with something called the Presidio Principles, which are basically a data owner's bill of rights. So you and I are data owners of our digital twins, our digital information, our personas. And these companies, whether it's big tech or small tech, it really doesn't matter. It could be an HR system or a payroll system in a business. They are data gatherers, and that's where the regulatory is going to come from. Not this idea of people blindly checking check marks in order to get access to free software and then being mined for every single piece of personal data. It has to end because we know that we know that these companies don't have a conscience. People do, companies don't. And, and so somebody somewhere who might be less ethical than others will say, hey, that's okay, let's let's do that. And they've done that, right? They've turned that information back on us in order to what? Stimulate hyper-consumerism, keep our faces attached. Ultimately, it comes down to making and turning a buck. I mean, absolutely um, fascinating on one side, tremendously scary on another, uh, you know, from, from that side. Obviously, uh, I love your expertise in this area and you convey that. Um, let's share a little bit about uh, your contribution to um, brilliant breakthroughs, volume five. What do you, what do you want people to get out of it from your section and then the overall project? I think Scott, that that's a really good question. A, a lot of small business owners um, dream, right? They have an idea, they get into it. Times have changed a lot, even in my lifetime in how a business is formed and, and the, whether it's regulatory and compliance or truth in advertising, or uh, whether or not they even need a website that's open to the world, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not selling anything to Pakistan or Tajikistan or Lebanon. I, I don't need worldwide access to my website. I just need local advertising, local presence, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So they take the dream. And, and what you find is a lot of business owners really learn about business through experience, the University of Hard Knocks. Uh, they complement that with a degree from Google University. And, and again, you've got hard knocks and this um, misconception that you can get everything you need off of, off of a search engine. And I don't mean to mention one by name, but they are the largest. And, and so this idea of um, knowing more than what you know, right, and not knowing what you don't know really becomes a problem. 
So the brilliant breakthroughs for the small business owner series has been successful because it addresses at an advisory level, fresh ideas and perspectives that a small business owner can adopt. Now they can experiment with it first, right? But the beautiful thing is how many places do you see that offer books and then give them an app and the app just continues to nickel and dime, nickel and dime, nickel and dime. We don't. Right. The, the beauty of this is that the Brilliant uh, Breakthroughs app, which is um, brilliantbizbook.com, um, they can get it there, is free. I mean, as far as I know, you don't even have to own the book. If you can download the app, you can engage with a little bit more than 30 of the authors over the five years that the book has been published. And every year it's a different volume. This year is volume five. And I believe it's going to be the last volume in the series. Um, I contributed to volume four by showing people how to improve productivity. Okay. Integration. So this year I'm doing how to improve profitability because both go hand in hand. Absolutely. And if we can get a business owner to realize that the, the don't, don't make, a career out of being a software developer. If you're not in the software development business, find the right tools. You need experts to tell you that in the shortest period of time. You have direct access to those experts through the small business and uh, Brilliant Breakthroughs program uh, for no additional charge. I, that's That to me is amazing. And when you add up the years of experience of all the people that are previous authors, and some of them are lawyers and accountants and PhDs and so forth. It's almost a millennium. It's over 900 years of business experience. You can't put that on a single board of directors. No, very true. You couldn't afford it either. So. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the reality. Yeah, no, that that's the reality. And, and I think what's so brilliant about brilliant breakthroughs is, as you say, it's a, it's a uh, assembly of experts uh, experience is a great teacher. It's just a very expensive teacher. Uh, work on your strengths, outsource your weaknesses, you know, and, and be able to do that. And with not only the book series, but the, the app and everything, like you say, being able to reach out to experts uh, for free. Uh, obviously, you know, if there is a time where there's an exchange of value that's greater, sure, that's appropriate. Uh, because it's been determined to be appropriate, but I, but I mean, I think that the, um, I congratulate you on your contributions because I think that it's, uh, it's what small business needs. Far too often, their chief cook and bottle washer, they get, you know, they, they end up doing every task every day, every time, and uh, besides being energetically wrung out, they're knowledge base and technologically wrung out and everything else. So go to the people that, that have the knowledge, right? Well, and it's not just knowledge. The distinction I've been drawing now that I've been in this process for two years with Maggie is that there's knowledge and we all look at books mostly as a, as a source of knowledge, but this is different because you have these, these small business owners like myself who have worked with large enterprises in large enterprises, but mostly with small businesses and there's a know-how there. It's not knowledge. That's the know-how. And that's where the time savings comes in. And at the end of the day, 
the small business owner, we're not going to convince people that they need to get a master's degree in business administration or anything like that, or if they've even gone to college, right? But but they can take they can take a choice. They have a choice of many different paths they can take to reach success. And I have to say that that Maggie's commitment to the series from the conception at the beginning has always been to improve the odds for small business owners to be successful. And when you look at when I when I started out in business decades ago, we were told that sixty five percent of businesses will fail in the first three years because of these reasons. Right. We've improved that. It's now sixty five percent will fail within the first decade. Right. So it's still, still a percent <laughs> failure, but now you got a decade to shift and, and it might be even longer than that because as algorithms and technology, things like AI and internet of things and people and all these real-time technologies, look at what we're doing today. Right. You know, I've been doing video conferencing since about Y2K, right? Year 2000. Uh, but two years ago, you tried to do a video conference with people unless they were, you know, leading edge new media folks like yourself that were doing podcasts and, and video conferencing, they wouldn't touch it. Today, you've got people meeting for church online, and they're not going to go back. They're very right. comfortable with meeting in their living rooms. They, they like the idea of sitting around in their pajama bottoms, right? Which, of course, the new generations, they wear them everywhere, so they're <laughs> it really doesn't matter, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't change. <laughs> but the idea being that that we are uh, always an adaptable people, and this this pandemic has really accelerated the adoption of a lot of these technologies. What I call the Jetsons kind of lifestyle. I remember the yep. Jetsons cartoon show. That that we we could comfortably say we could be doing this in 20, 40 years on a regular basis. That was all accelerated to less than twenty months. I think the I think one of the numbers and first of all, business will never be done the way it was done prior to the pandemic. That that's a foregone conclusion. That's already done that way. But I think the other side is to think of a, a organization like Zoom that had 10 million customers, uh, 10 million utilizers, users in uh, December of 19, that had 500 million users in May of 20. I know. Uh, the the scalability the ability to jump that that's why I think these books and and your contribution is so important because we're the other thing I was thinking when you were saying that is the definition of business owner has changed dramatically in the over the course of the pandemic the the gig economy or the side hustle is the is a standard today mm-hmm. it, it's not the um, so far-fetched or the, or the outside, right? It's the, right. so it, what it has done is it has made business owners out of people who are simply looking for a way, a means to income, means to revenue, right? Right. And we were marching that way slowly, right? On the gig economy, again, an acceleration and adoption of that. Um, the, the other technologies that have come together with this besides 5G, which by the way, for your audience, that's more than just a cell phone upgrade, folks. This is a complete radical departure 
from old security protocols, communication protocols that go back to World War II that our internet is based on. So we're gonna see major changes in the way in which we communicate, not just in bandwidth and speed, but even in the security levels. Which brings me to the second level of technology or the second technological uh, uh, change in this nexus, which is blockchain. Mm-hmm. It's the basis of Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency, but I, I head up a, an international consortium um, looking at the validation and portability of HR data globally, because people before would have to get a visa, come to work here in the United States, not anymore, right? But how do you validate that they have got the credentials they say they do? And they may not be necessarily degrees. They might be tool credentials. Do they really exist? That sort of thing. And uh, and that's been been a trip because uh, a lot of countries are way ahead of us in terms of these kinds of programs. The United States is very good at, at setting standards, but very bad at applying them. And, um, and we see that every day in the compromises we see in government. But uh, that decentralization of information is coming, which will make our personal data that much more secure. That's why we need to have tools, which one of my companies does, to actually give you the ability to say yay or nay as to who can, can have access to your information. Right now, it's, it's an oblivion. You don't see it. It's completely out of you. And that that's one of the significant changes we'll see in our lifetime, probably within the next two to five years. Yeah. Amazing how things are advancing. Wow. Uh, just like this show is in advancing <laughs> through our, our time here. Yeah. How do people get a hold of you? And uh, at, just as importantly, how do people get a hold of the book and be able to support you and the app and everything uh, along with it? Well, the book launches officially on Wednesday, November the 10th, uh, 2021. That's next week. And the beautiful thing of that is um, uh, the electronic version, uh, if you're a Kindle or electronic device, that can be purchased on the same site as the paperback book, which is amazon.com. You can get more information immediately and download the app. You don't, as I said, need the book in order to reach out to us as, as a contributing authors and that can be found at brilliantbizbook.com awesome uh you know Dennis, just really appreciate the the information you shared with everybody uh appreciate the, your contributions in the book and the app and uh look forward to doing far more in the future i look forward to it too scott i've really enjoyed this interview thank you thanks for joining us here today everybody thanks for joining scott Schilling speaks we'll see you again god bless